So, let's assume you have an unbelieving friend and they read the Gospel of John. And they come to you and they, they say, why are these religious men giving Jesus Christ such a hard time? Why are these religious leaders, these Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes, why are they always contending with Jesus Christ? What would you say to them? Uh, moreover, what if your unbelieving friend had read the Bible in its totality? And they asked the question, why are all of these false teachers and false prophets in the Old Testament? And why are there these false teachers in the New Testament? What's going on here? Why is this happening? Moreover, if your unbelieving friend knew a little bit about church history and maybe some of what's going on in the modern church, um, they might ask you, well, why is much of Christianity appear to be apostate? Why are all of these false teachers proliferating in what is called the modern church? How would you answer those questions? Well, God answers those questions, right? In both the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And I'll just read you a scripture from the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 9 and 10. This is what God says. This is why false teachers proliferate. Okay? This is the Word of the Lord from the Old Testament. For this is a rebellious people. False sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words. Prophesy illusions. I always love this text. Because Why are there false teachers in the Old Testament? The people wanted them. The people wanted Illusions and pleasant words. They did not want to hear from God. You know the hostile reception that many of the Old Testament prophets received. How about the New Testament? God tells us in Paul's letter to Timothy, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapters 3 and 4. Let me just read a few passages. God says in the last days men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although having denied its power. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. What's he saying? They will not hear the truth. Okay? They will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears, someone tell me, wanting to have their ears tickled, Wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves what? False teachers. Okay? This is what the text says. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears. They won't hear the truth. Right? They turn their ears from the truth. They turn aside, I love this word, to myths. Okay? So, the answer to the question of your unbelieving friend, why does this always happen? Old Testament, New Testament, history of the church, and the modern church. Why do false teachers rise up and proliferate? Why does it happen? 
Because people love illusions, pleasant words, and myths. This is not, this is not my answer. This is God's answer. This is why it happens. This is why it happens. This is the biblical answer. It's why we see these religious men contending with the Son of God. They are not interested in the truth. We've seen it all the way through the Gospel of John from the very beginning. They are not interested in the truth. Why do pseudo-Christian churches proliferate from Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodox, to, uh, you know, uh, yeah, fallen Protestantism? Why, why is that true? Because men don't want to hear from God. They don't mind a little religion, but they do not want to hear what God says. They just want pleasant things. Give us pleasant religious things. Tell us pleasant religious things. Don't talk to us about holiness and righteousness and repentance and sin and judgment and condemnation and hell. Don't talk about these things. We are not interested in these things. That would be a good answer to your unbelieving friend. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. People have no stomach for solid teaching, but will fill up, oh, I love this, on spiritual junk food. Amen? We don't do that here. <laughs> okay? Um, we don't do spiritual junk food. It's easy to do. I mean, I could entertain you and, and you know, tell some jokes. And, but you know what? My life's too short and I think your life is too short. Uh, if you want to be entertained, stay home and just surf the Internet. If you want to hear what God says, hey, come on over to ICM because that's, that's all we do. Spiritual junk food, he goes on, catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They'll turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. So if we read the Gospel of John, we understand God's purpose. No spiritual junk food, right? It's Jesus. No, no pleasant words. No illusions. It's God incarnate. You can, you can reject Jesus Christ. That's your free will choice. You can do that. He is God. It's what the Gospel of John is about. You may know that the Gospel of John is built around seven I Am statements, and we're going to hear one of them tonight. You guys know this? If you don't know it, it's quite interesting. Um, seven I am statements. In chapter 6, we saw Jesus say, I am the bread. What's the meaning? Men are spiritually hungry, right? In chapter 8, we heard Jesus say, I am the light of the world. Man is in darkness. Next week, in chapter 10, Jesus will say, I am the good shepherd. We need a good shepherd. We are lost and helpless without the good shepherd. In chapter 11, Jesus will say, I am the resurrection and the life. Man is dead. Man is spiritually dead. We need Jesus Christ. In chapter 14, Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Man is wallowing in deception and spiritual blindness. In chapter 15, Jesus will say, I am the true vine. Man is fruitless lest he be connected to the true vine. And tonight, we hear Jesus say, I am the door.
I am the door. He is the only way to God. Now, I know this is not popular in the world. <laughs> I know the world says, well, all religions are just you know, different paths to God. This is, this is blatantly false. This is a demonic lie. There's one way. There's not three. There's not two. There's one. His name is Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't believe that, then you're denying the words of Jesus. His, his own very words. He says this. He's the only way to the Father. He's the only way to the Father. If you love your friends and your colleagues and your neighbors and your family members, you'll tell them these things. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. So, as we begin chapter 10, I want you to note that He's still talking to the Pharisees, right? The scene hasn't changed. You know, chapter breaks are just for our convenience. There's no break here, okay, between the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10. There's no break here. It's the Pharisees are standing there. The man born blind is standing there. The disciples are standing there. And Jesus is still engaging with these false shepherds. I just want you to understand that. Okay, for us to understand the text, we kind of need to understand about the first century Jewish shepherd. Um, of course, if you know your Old Testament, you know that God compares Himself to a shepherd all the way through all the way through the Old Testament. And it was inevitable that Jesus is going to say next week, I am the Good Shepherd. It's inevitable that He was going to say it. But let me kind of bring you up to speed on... It'll help us understand the text. So in the winter, uh, the shepherd would take the sheep out to pasture. And in the winter, he would bring them back to the village and they would be put into a communal fold or communal pen, okay? Um, this is what he would do. They hired a, a man to stand watch at night to guard the sheep so there would be no thieves or robbers or beasts coming in to take advantage of the sheep. In the morning, the shepherds would come and collect their sheep from the communal pen. So all the sheep from, from all the different shepherds in the village are all in one pen. So how does, how does the shepherd find his own sheep? You, some of you know this. How does the shepherd get his own sheep? How does it work? How does he separate his sheep from the rest of the sheep? Tell me. I know you know. You don't know. It's good I'm telling you these things. Or you won't understand what Jesus is saying. How does he get his sheep? He calls them. Have you ever seen that video on YouTube where all the people are trying to call the sheep and the sheep are just like, you know, and then the shepherd calls them, and in unison, all their heads go just like this. He simply calls them. He'll have some unintelligible utterance. The sheep know it. And when they hear it, they respond. Now, you probably know too that, that the shepherd would name his sheep, they all had names. They not only knew the call, they knew his voice. They wouldn't, if you knew the call, but, but you weren't the, the shepherd, they wouldn't come to you. This is a beautiful picture of true Christianity, right? <laughs> okay. This is what Jesus is going to talk about about the next six or eight or ten verses. So, that's what Jesus will be using as 
a word picture. This is really what this is. This is not really a parable. It is a word picture, okay, of the true shepherd and the true sheep. So let's pick up here. Let me reread for us um, the first five verses here just to get reacquainted again. Chapter 10 of John, first five verses. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters uh, by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. So, what does truly, truly mean? Why does Jesus keep saying this in the Gospel of John? Truly, truly. What does it mean? Is it just some opening salutation? No. What does it mean? It means this is serious. This is sober. This is important. I want you to understand the difference between these pseudo-religious uh, leaders and me. Right? These false leaders and me. Between religion and God. This is the difference. Okay? He's going to say it twice in about five verses. Truly, truly, this is important for you to understand. We see this a lot in the Gospel of John. So, he says, I'm the true shepherd. These guys are thieves and robbers. Okay? I'm the true shepherd is, is the point he's going to make as he comes through the text. We know this is true. Why do we know this is true? What happened in John chapter 9? What happened? Okay, what, what? Jesus heals a man born blind and the religious guys are all in a knot because He did it on the Sabbath. Of course, Jesus is provoking them out of their religion, but they love it too much. So how do we know they're false shepherds? How did they treat the man born blind who had been healed by Jesus? How did they treat Him? They were so happy for Him. They were so joyful that He had been healed and they, they rejoiced and, and gave... No, no, what happened? They attacked Him. They wanted Him to discredit Christ, right? This is what religion does. Okay? They prove themselves not to be true shepherds. They abuse the sheep. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He's looking, them, he's looking them in the eye and He's telling them that this is true. I want to read an excerpt now. I want you to stay with me. I'm going to read an excerpt to you from Ezekiel chapter 34, 1-10. Now, if you don't know this text, um, it's, it's, well, we just need to know it, okay, as we talk about John chapter 10. These are the words of God through the prophet Ezekiel. Again, chapter 34, 1 through 10. Ezekiel says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Sounds like your modern prosperity preacher, doesn't it? 
Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, you have dominated them. It's what we just saw in John chapter 9. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field. And there was not one to search for them. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord, surely because my flock has become a prey, and my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you. I am against the false teachers. You say, Jim, you're always talking about the prosperity guys. They are blatantly, unambiguously, without question, false teachers. So of course I'm always talking about it. It's probably the most prevalent, at least on the Protestant side. Catholicism's got a whole other problem, and so does Eastern Orthodox. But on the Protestant side, probably the biggest problem would be you know, liberalism that doesn't actually believe the Bible at all anymore, and then you got the prosperity guys who are just selling a lie. It's a false gospel. Let them be accursed, as the Apostle Paul says. God has a lot to say about false teachers. And it's not that I enjoy, you know, talking about false teachers and pointing out doctrinal error, but it's what a called man of God will do. Okay? You know, I always tell you this. I have to answer to the Lord. I, I don't answer to you. <laughs> I answer. I, I hope you like my sermon, but if you don't, it's too bad. I just want God to like it. I just want God to like the truth. You know, that, that I'm speaking the truth. So, so God makes it clear how He feels about false teachers. What does it mean? Verse 2, Jesus came through the door. What do you think it means? What do you think it means? He came through the door. What do you think it means? What's the door? He's coming through the Old Testament prophecies. He's coming through the Old Testament promises. He is Messiah. He comes through the door. He's the one it all, it all points to. It's, you know, from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it's all pointing to Jesus, right? All the way to the end of Malachi. It's pointing to Jesus. He came through the door. He's the one the Old Testament is all about. He's come through that door. He is the Messiah. All other so-called Messiahs are false. It's been said, and I've never done the, the research, it's been said that Jesus fulfills over 300 prophecies. Okay? Old Testament prophecies. He has come through the door. So, that's why I read Psalm 23. The Lord is our shepherd, right? We heard it in some of the praises tonight. The faithfulness of God. The provision of God. The bounty of God. The goodness of God. The Lord is our shepherd. The promised Messiah is our shepherd. Did you notice there in verse 3, He calls His sheep by name and He leads them out. Okay? He calls them by name and He leads them out. If you read verse 11 of Ezekiel 34, God indicts the false shepherds. And he, and he gets down to verse 11 and He says, Behold, I Myself will search for My sheep. I will seek them out. Right? 
It's what Jesus Christ is doing. When He comes to, to, uh, to, to the Jewish nation, He's coming for His sheep. And later we're going to hear next week, I think He's going to say next week, I have sheep from another fold. Who's that? It's the Gentiles. It's you and me. I don't know if we have any Jewish believers in here. I don't think we do. But the other fold are the Gentiles. He's going to get them too. Right? <laughs> He'll get His sheep. He will get His sheep. You can count on that. God says, I will go get them. I will seek for them. And so we see this beautiful truth all the way through the Bible, the seeking, saving God. Luke 19.10 I have come to seek and save what? The religious people. He's going to save some religious people, but He's come to seek and save that which was lost. This is what Jesus does. The seeking, saving God. You know, sometimes men, I, I try to help people sometimes when they talk to me about, about their... Uh, Testimony, you know, they'll 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 start, they'll start talking about how they were seeking God, and I'm, and I, but I always like to say, well, well, let's get it right. What does the Bible say? God sought you, <laughs> okay? You didn't seek God. God sought you, and then He began to draw you to Himself, and then you begin to come. Right? John chapter six. We saw that some months ago. So, as we've already seen in the Gospel of John, God is not only seeking us, there's this intra-Trinitarian transaction going on. Okay? Intra-Trinitarian. See, I went to seminary to learn these words. Intra-Trinitarian. This is why you get the big money, right? Intra-Trinitarian. What am I saying? Not only has God come for us, Father, you know, the, the whole Trinity is involved. The Father elects, the Son redeems, and the Holy Spirit regenerates. The, the Trinity, the whole Trinity is involved. Okay? So, wh what happens here? What do we see in John 6? The Father has given what? The sheep to who? The Son. Okay? We saw this back in John chapter 6. It's one of my favorite doctrines that flows out of the Gospel of John. John 6.37 All that the Father gives Me shall come to Me and I will not cast any of them out. John 17.12 Of all the Father has given Me, I have guarded them and I will not lose one. What is the ultimate security of the believer? Yes, there's a ton of good doctrine here. I could preach 15 sermons on it. But what is the ultimate security of the believer? I am a love gift from the Father to the Son. He will not lose you. Okay? Your assurance is not in how strong your faith is. Your assurance is how much the Father and the Son love one another. That's your assurance, beloved. Of course, there's a whole other issue about, about coming to Christ in repentance and faith, but I'm talking about I'm talking about this intra-trinitarian thing. Okay? You, 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 listen, I know you have hard days, I do. But when you have a hard day, why don't you think about this? I'm a love gift from the Father to the Son. I promise you, if you think like this, if you if you begin to preach to yourself like this, if you learn to talk to yourself this way. You cannot, you know, you cannot indefinitely just feel sorry for yourself. You can't do it. You know, you, you always come back. Karen and I were talking about it today. You always come back. 
God should have struck me dead a long time ago. I should be in hell right now. Why am I feeling sorry for myself? Particularly in light of the fact that I know the Savior, right? I know Him. I know Him. He's called me out. He knows my name. I'm His. And He's mine. Beloved, it's awesome. And I know we talked about this in John chapter 6, but I'm just going to... Just a couple of quick verses. John 17, Jesus said, I have made Your name known to these men, the men You gave Me out of the world. They were Yours and You gave them to Me. John 17, 9. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom You have given Me. John 17, 24. Father, I desire that those also whom You have given Me be with Me in order that they may see My glory. Beloved, this is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful truth that I bet some of you have never thanked God about. You've never found your assurance. You're always trying to find your assurance in, well, you know, I prayed the prayer, I got baptized, and I'm a member of a church, and I go pretty regularly, you know, when it's not too inconvenient. So, uh, I'm a pretty good person. I'm better than most people. You know, this is really the, the, about as deep as it goes for some Christians. I talk to these people. It's about as deep as it goes. What is our ultimate assurance that we belong to God? We are a love gift from the Father to the Son, and He says, I'll never lose one of them. Ever. <laughs> hey, if you feel sorry for yourself, I don't know. Go read John 17. <laughs> it's what I do. It's what I do. I can't stay down. I begin to realize all that God has done in my behalf. A love gift from the Father to the Son. If you think deeply about this, it'll change, it'll change tomorrow. It'll change tomorrow. And every day after that, it'll change it. If you realize who you are in Christ. So He is our security. Jesus is as bound to you and me as He is bound to the Father. Do you think He's ever going to lose one of the sheep that His Father gave to Him? It cannot happen. It's what, it's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. It cannot happen. You cannot be separated from the love of God. You cannot be. I don't care if Satan and all the demons of hell come after you. You cannot be separated from God. He holds you. And He loves you. You know, not in that, this maudlin, syrupy, sentimental kind of love. He is wholly committed to you, right? You can see it on the cross. How committed is Jesus to His people? Well, He bled out, right? That's pretty committed. That's pretty committed. So He is our Good Shepherd. He knows our name. He calls us by, by it. He doesn't say, hey, you in the purple shirt. He doesn't say that. Or, you know, you in the, the green sweater. He doesn't say that. He says, Oliver, come! Right? Shibomi, come! This is what he says. Doro, come! He calls you by name. It's very personal. Christi you know, biblical Christianity is always personal. He loves the sheep. He treasures the sheep. He guards the sheep. He defends the sheep. He, he guides the sheep. He fights for the sheep. He dies for the sheep. We'll see it next week. He says, I lay my life down. Nobody takes my life. I lay it down for my sheep. 
Psalm 23.3, He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. So notice 2, verses 4 and 5, what He says about the sheep. What do they do? Someone tell me from the text. What do they do? What do real sheep do? They go to church when it's not too inconvenient. No, that's not what He says. What, is, what do they say? What does He say? What do true sheep do? They, they follow the shepherd. You know, you ask 10, the, 10 denominational theologians, what does it look like to be a Christian? You might get 10 different answers. I like Jesus' answer. The sheep follow the shepherd. Basta. That's all you need to, that's all you need to know. The sheep follow the shepherd. That's how you know it's a sheep. The false sheep won't come. Only those who hear and know His voice. And He calls them by name. So there's this authentication going on. right? The true shepherd is authenticated in the Bible. Jesus Christ was conspicuous, but oh, guess what? So are the sheep. You're conspicuous too. If you're not conspicuous in the world, if the world doesn't know you're a Christian, then you're probably not a Christian. The shepherd was conspicuous and the sheep will be conspicuous because the the sheep walk in the same path as the shepherd. Right? It's just logic here, beloved. And it's actually what the text says. So Jesus was authenticated in every respect by His birth, His life, His words, His miracles, His sinlessness, His death, His resurrection, His ascension. And so what's left to do for mankind? If Jesus Christ is God, what's left to do? I was listening to Piper this week. I love what he said. There's only two choices here. Blasphemy or worship. There's nothing in the middle. Oh, I'm going to be a good church member. No. No. That's not enough. It's blasphemy. You either ignore your Creator and your Redeemer, or it's I worship this God. I worship this Creator. I worship this Redeemer. I give my whole life away to Him, even as He's given Himself to me. That's what Christianity is, right? That's what it is. It's blasphemy. Or worship. There's no half measures here, beloved. There are no half measures with Jesus. You're either with Him or you are not with Him. There's no middle place to be. So the sheep are authenticated. They follow the shepherd. What does it look like to follow the shepherd? First John um, chapter 2, verses 3 and 6, real quick. But this we know, That we have come to Him. How do we know if we've come to Him? We keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know Him and does not keep His commandments, he is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps His Word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. The one who says He abides in me ought Himself to walk as He walked. So, Jesus' answer is best. What does a a real Christian look like? He looks like a sheep following a shepherd. Finally, verse 6. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which He had been saying to them. 
Again, this figure of speech is really like a word picture. Jesus is telling a story here, likening Himself to a good shepherd. But these guys don't understand. They are blind. It's what Jesus said in, uh, up in uh, chapter 9, verse... Pardon me. The, the Pharisees said up in chapter 9, verse 40, are we blind? The answer in, in, in uh, chapter 10, verse 6 is, yes, you are. You are blind. You say we see, but you are blind. You don't understand what I'm talking about. You don't see that I'm the shepherd. You don't see that I'm the door. You are indeed blind. So Jesus continues to teach, and He's going to change the, the, the word picture just a little bit. We're going to see it here in verse 7. Jesus therefore said to them again, truly, truly, what's that mean? This is serious. This is sober. You need to understand this. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So we need to talk about the first century Jewish shepherd again. Um, yeah. Well, I told you about the winter. They'd bring them in to the communal pen. In the summer, they just stayed out in the field, right? And there's no pen out there, right? There's no pen. So the, uh, the shepherd would, would, would create or build a, a makeshift pen but there's no door. What did he do for a door? How did he get a door? He's the door. The first century Jewish shepherd, he would lay down in the opening. Nobody goes in or out without him being aware. He's the door. This is what Jesus is saying. I'm the door. I take care of my sheep. I know my sheep. I protect my sheep. I defend my sheep. Nobody's going to get to my sheep without me knowing about it. <laughs> and if I don't want it to happen, it ain't going to happen. He's, yeah, He's I am God. So, it's important for us to understand what's being said here. The shepherd became the door. Jesus says, I am the door. One thing that the shepherd would do when, when the sheep would come in in the evening is he would examine each one. He would put his staff down put his rod down and he would examine the sheep and he would let them go on into the pen. That's how intimate the shepherd was with the sheep. This is another you know, word picture for you and I. This is how intimate God is with you. Right? Everything that happens to you today, He knows it. Not only does He know it, He decreed it. Not only did He decree it, He's working good in it. You say, Jim, something bad happened to me today. Well, here's the good news. If you're an unbeliever, all you can do is cry about it. If you're a believer, you know God is doing something good in it. Okay? So we don't look at the trial. Someone tell me. I say this all the time. What do we do? What does a Christian do? We look, we look through the trial. That's right, Chinelo. Thank you. Very good. We look through it. We can have all kinds of outrageous anticipation of what God will do through the trial. So that's pretty cool. That is very, very cool. So we have this beautiful shepherd-sheep relationship. David says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Psalm 23, does it get any better for a sheep? Green pastures, quiet waters. This is heaven on earth to a sheep. It, a sheep doesn't want anything else. 
but green pastures and quiet waters. His soul is about to explode. He's got green pastures and quiet waters and a good shepherd. It doesn't get any better than that for a sheep. And what I want to say to you, if you're a Christian tonight, it doesn't get any better for a human being that your shepherd would be Jesus Christ. He'll bring you into green pastures and quiet waters. It's what He does. It's what He does, beloved. Many of you know this. Some of you are maybe still struggling. Listen, you may not be in a green pasture right now. I still remember. I lo- when I lost my... The first time I ever got fired and I lost a job and I was out of work for six months, it was hard. It was really, really hard. And I, the, the, the best advice I got was from a pastor. And he said, Jim, do you need anything? I said, no, the Lord's been providing in, a mul- in many different ways. He says, lay down in the green pasture and rejoice in God. I'd never heard this before. I share this with men all the time now when they get fired, Right? This is my counsel. Enjoy it. Your God is sovereign. Right? Enjoy the green pasture. Enjoy it. It's just whether we believe Him or not, right? It's just whether we believe Him or not. So, verse 8. All who came before Me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. They will not respond to these false religious Leaders, we saw it in, in chapter 9. The blind man just stopped listening to them and he began to look to Jesus. Verse 9, this beautiful, this beautiful, beautiful verse. Jesus says it again, I am the door. If anyone enters through Me, he shall be what? He shall be what? Saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Now, this word saved is not very marketable anymore. People don't present the Gospel like that. Why do you not hear the word saved very much anymore? Why do you think? Because it has all of these implications. To be saved means you're lost. It means you're in in grave danger is what it means. People don't want to believe they're in grave danger. The Bible says, outside of Christ, you are in the worst kind of danger. You are in spiritual danger. Right? You don't hear this word much anymore. Jesus uses it, so I use it. <laughs> okay? <laughs> the implication is, if you, don't, if you don't come to Christ, you will land in hell. That is the implication in the word saved. You must be saved. You are headed to sure destruction. God means to, you know, Jesus means to communicate this hard truth in simply using the word Saved. Saved from hell? Yes. Saved for what? What would you say? If your unbelieving friend asked you, well, you want to be saved from hell. Okay, Jesus will save you from hell. But what are you being saved for? What would you say? You know, I find many Christians, all they can do is say, yeah, I'm saved from hell. But what are you saved for? Yes, the ultimate answer is the glory of God. Yes, that's the ultimate answer. But you are saved to be a sheep who follows His shepherd and finds many green pastures and quiet waters. God means to explode your soul forever. You're not just saved from hell. You're saved from mundaneness and boredom. God will explode your heart forever, beloved. He'll explode your heart forever. Not only in this life, but certainly 
I was talking with Martin earlier. We were rejoicing in the fact that when we die, it's just going to get better. Right? It just gets better. The best is always out in front of the true believer. Jesus says, Enter through Me and be saved. John 14.6, I referenced it earlier. No man comes to the Father but through Me. Did you notice? He says, We'll go in and out. Well, this is a very... you know prominent theme in the Old Testament. Psalm 121.8 The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in forever. What is it saying? He's saying, not only are you, you know, full of joy in Me, I'll protect your going out and coming in. You're free. You're safe. You're secure. You're one of My sheep. When you go out, I'll be with you. When you come in, I'll be with you. This is, it's like there's so much freedom here. There's so much license here. Stop worrying about everything, please. Okay? Stop it! It does not please God for you to worry about everything. Really, it doesn't please Him for you to worry about anything. You know what He says in Luke chapter 12, right? What does He say? Why are you worried about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear and, and, and about your life? Why are you worried about this stuff? Why do you worry about this stuff? Then you, you know what he said? He said, men of little faith. You just have this little faith. God knows what you need. Do you not believe that God is smart enough to know what you need? Do you not believe it? Well, then you must not trust Him, right? God says, I am with my people. They can go out and come in with absolute freedom. Because I'm God. I'm God. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases that. David says, Your beauty and Your love chase after me every day of my life. God says, I will be with you and You're going out and You're coming in. You are free to obey Me extravagantly. And I always call you to this, right? Don't just be a nominal Christian in the world. Obey the Lord extravagantly. You say, Jim, I I just don't have a lot of joy in my life. That's on you because you're not obeying God extravagantly. You're not walking with God. You're not really following Him as He has called you to do. That Luke 12 passage I just referenced uh, to you just a moment ago, your Father knows what you need. Then He says this awesome thing in Luke chapter 12. Did I write down the verse? No. Okay. Go, go look it up in Luke chapter 12. He, he's, using the, he's using the shepherd metaphor again. He says, Do not be afraid, little flock. Some of you know this verse. You've got to know this verse. If you don't know this verse, you're like, yeah, you're... You, yeah, you got to know this verse. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father, what? Someone tell me. Your father has, what? Chosen gladly to give you every good thing. Actually, he uses the word kingdom, which is every good thing. He has chosen gladly to give you every good thing. You are his sheep. I, I tell you what. If you meditate on John 10, just the first nine verses, you can't feel sorry for yourself, right? If you're a Christian, you can't. (laughs) You can't, man. (laughs) You can't. You're Batman, right? (laughs) Spiritually speaking. 
Okay, I'm done. David says, the 23rd Psalm, God makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus says, I am the door. I am your salvation. I am your freedom. I am your courage. I am your security. For, for all of your life and eternity, I am your fullness. I am your delight. I am your happiness. I am your joy forever. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow, follow after me all the days of my life. Jesus said, My sheep know My voice and they follow Me. I'll close with this. Fear not, beloved. Your shepherd has chosen gladly to give you every good thing. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table tonight. Um, communion here and uh, all those who've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and have followed him in believers baptism you are